0: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. I noticed a lot, a lot of y'all were on time this morning. That's because you forgot to put your clock back. But we'll take it. And um, and so some of you were on time for the first time in a long time. You needed the whole hour to get here this morning. I'm glad to see a lot of our uh, those who trick or treat, a lot of trick or treaters are back safely. Um, and you still look like yourself. Very good. Um, and uh, so welcome this morning to you. And as we begin to wrap up our sermon series through the book of Habakkuk, let me remind you, for those of you who, hadn't, who haven't been through this whole series with, you, with us of the general flow of this book, Habakkuk complains about the less than godly behavior of his people, God, did we do do children's church? We did? Okay. I got people to worry about that. Let me get back to this. But Habakkuk complains again about the less than godly behavior of his people, and then he answers, God answers Habakkuk with some alarming news. He was going to fix the problem of ungodliness and injustice among God's people by using an even less godly and more unjust nation, the Babylonians, to conquer and capture and control them politically for a while. Habakkuk is taken aback by God's decision to do things this way and begs and complains that it not be true. So God closes the complaint and suggestion department down with a press release, declaring this thing was happening, that I am God, you're God, I know what I'm doing, you have no choice but to trust and watch me work. As we saw last week, Habakkuk's prophetic response was to shut up and sing. To turn his complaints and advice giving to God into songs. Well, this week, we finally dig into that song. And hopefully, we will learn not only some of its marvelous lyrics, but more importantly, about its marvelous object. The Lord, our God, our marvelous hero. Our marvelous hero. A few months back, I took my boys to the comic book store on 7th Street. Well, they took me, really. I just did the driving because it was free comic book day. And let me tell you, the place was packed with superhero fans and, dare I say it, superhero worshippers, right? Some were dressed up in costumes, some had t-shirts, and some seemed to have neglected social, physical, and cosmetic lives. All given up and over to being in tune, knowledgeable, and unashamed nerds for their epic heroes. And some of you who know me, I like to incite when there's a feeding frenzy. I like to. Mess with people when they are so committed to something, right? So, so I purposely read something with a, with a couple of the heroes and encyclopedias, you know, in those stores, the Encyclopedia of Heroes, and even calling up some things that my superhero loving younger adult brother told me. And then I would purposely say out loud with authority, or worse, saying it like I was a comic book professor, right? Or a theologian teaching the boys wrongly. How dare I? I would say the opposite of something or something off about the history, or parents, or powers of the superheroes. Like, I would purposely say six things they do right, and on the seventh thing, I would say it kind of wrong. And the room would go crazy. (laughs) And more than one person would be quick to correct me. I did this about five times. We got about 55 corrections. I loved being the insider. I was playing with him. But point is, these folks knew their heroes. They lived for not just the next issue, but for past issues to know their heroes. Well, this song in Habakkuk is is nothing short of a hero song with, with God as hero. Habakkuk, has, was, Habakkuk was using an ancient, almost comic book description of God that was common back in the day, where the pagan mythological gods were treated and drawn and portrayed just like we do Superman and Batman and Hulk and Iron Man. They just had Anu, Ab- Absu, Inki, and Kashar, just to name a few. And so Habakkuk goes Stan Lee on us with vivid, almost framed, color story telling. For God's people who were living in and about to enter into a less than awesome circumstance with more than they could handle enemies, he presents and represents our God as a marvelous hero so that like these comic book nerds, you and I have a chance to know our God in a way that changes our lives. He presents a God hero who has a marvelous history, marvelous power, and a marvelous mission. You know what personally gets me hyped when I, when I see these comic, these superhero movies, or read these comics, which I never really read. I get tired of reading. I read all the time, so I just do the movies, or I call my brother Joel, who's a youth pastor of a PCA church in Baltimore. He's a perfect fit for that. Shout out to him for my hero knowledge. Or I might call Mike Sales, who has his own comic book line. You know, these comic book nerds. Mike's not a nerd, but you know what I'm saying. But it's the history, right? These folk get involved in the past issues. Excuse me, do you have volume number 12, uh, number one? Um, Because that's the one where we really learn what's going on, right? I'm like, man, come off of it. But it's even why I like that TV series Gotham where Batman is like 12 years old, right? It's about knowing how they came to be and acted in the past and what kind of things you can expect to see them do and be able to do. And so Habakkuk in good hero worship style lets us and his people back then know in this song that our God, our divine hero has a marvelous history in which he has not only done marvelous things, but leaves a marvelous Reputation. I don't know whether some of you were able to pick up in the reading of this song that, that this is a nostalgic, right? This is a historical melody of God's marvelous acts, right? Of things He did in the past when the chips were down and God's people were on the outs. We saw this last week, that that when it talks about God coming as the Holy One from Mount Paran and from Taman, and His splendor covered the heavens and the earth, was full of His praise, Habakkuk is talking about when God first appeared to the populace of His people at Mount Sinai, where He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and it was at Mount Sinai that the Bible tells the earth shook and and lightning flashed, and like verse 4 says, and, and then Moses came down with rays shooting from his face because he had been in the glorious presence of God. Then in verse 5, it flashes back to when God let the plagues go on Egypt for enslaving and not letting his people go when he said so. And then in verse 6 and 7, when Habakkuk sings about the mountains and the hills, then the tents of Kashan and Midian being scattered, sunk, low, and afflicted. It is saying that back in the day, if you guys remember and look back at the, at the Bible, God took care of kings and kingdoms and rulers and harmful occupants in their way to the promised land. And then the waters mentioned in verse 8. Refers to how God miraculously parted the Red Sea so God's people could cross over and then, when, then let the Red Sea close up on Pharaoh's armies that were chasing them. The point is clear. You're God. The God of the Bible is a hero. Who has a history and legacy of doing marvelous and miraculous things for his people, which means God, our hero, has a marvelous reputation. As a matter of fact, look back at verse 5 with me. It says, Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. When it says that plague followed at his heels, the word means heat, right? It means hot. It means searing and scorching. And what that means is that God left a burning mark, right? A tire burning, an irrevocable mark or pathway on history that will not and cannot be erased. That God made a a lasting dent on our history and the peoples. A marvelous, miraculous God acted in history on behalf of his glory and his people. And what does this mean? Look at verse 6 with me. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His ways were everlasting. Everlasting. It is saying, yes, kings and kingdoms might have arisen over the years, but God's reputation has burned and left and scarred through the nation's people and their movements and their trends and their bends and the breaks of history. And he's left his reputation behind him. We must ask ourselves, Do we know the marvelous history of our God? Do we live and know about his reputation? Because God has done marvelous things in history with irrevocable marvelous reputation then that should change not only how we should act today when our backs are, are against the wall, but what we should expect when our backs are against the wall. See, you and I should live faithful that is expecting that our God will and has a plan and the power to save us, that if and as surely as he did it before for the sinners that he called us children, that the same God will do it again for you and me and that he will somehow win over whatever and save and win us back. Do you know what the name of that comic book store is? It's called up on 7th Street that my sons and I went to. It's called Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. You know why? Because in that store, they have all the miraculous historical findings of things and reputations of heroes in those comic volumes. Well, I am here to tell you today and every day because of what God has done and left us from his marvelous history of being God, he is not hard to find. He is all over the songs and stories of people here in this church and more so all over and in alive and inside and outside of the history and the pages of this divinely reported comic here in this Bible. But God not only has a marvelous history of salvation, but he has a marvelous power for salvation. Look back with me again at verse four. It says his brightness was like the light and rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. I want to talk a little bit about this marvelous power that God has and had that was expressed here. It is safe to say that that like some of our favorite superheroes, that God's power is masked, right? It has an outfit to it, right? God wears a superhero outfit. I don't know if y'all knew that. When he comes and goes to save the world, he shows up in something. So when you hear that God's brightness was like the light and rays flashed from his hand and that his power was veiled, it meant that God covered, that he costume that he dressed himself with unapproachable light. He revealed himself. He, he came into our life and world and dilemma. It came outside. I mean, God left the bat cave, right? He left the Ice Palace clothed, not in blue suit tights or a cape, but in blinding light with rays coming from him. The rays also means Horns, right? And God's get up is designed just like our superheroes to convey they special. Something different about them. Right? So, so so spandex and capes and face masks and green skin and tight latex suits complete with shields and rockets and all of that, and all of that says they that these folk are special, but it also communicates something else. You can't be us. You can't really assail us, that you can't be regular with us because we extra. Our intimate identity is covered, that you can't know me like like you know a regular dude coming down the street It says, I can see him and recognize them, but because of the way they look with their costume, I can't capture him or quite completely and exhaustively get a picture of what they're about to do. It allows us to know all we need to know and enough about God. God's outfit and powerful masking means you and I, though we may benefit, are not within that hero's inner circle and counsel and community of divine three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's veiling says to us that he is divine, that he is out of this world, that he is more marvelous and awesome than anything in this wor- world, hero, who refuses to be treated as familiar and figureoutable, right? And assessed or controllable by you and me. He is mysterious on purpose. And this is not like our comic book heroes, so we would not know his or her weakness. Get this. God's power is veiled to protect us. think, Think about what kind of power we're talking about. He is veiled to protect you and me from seeing his unmitigated, unabridged, all out there power and marvelous person. If you were to see God, you would not be able to live. If you find out God's identity, you find out Superman's identity, you might live. You find out Bruce Wayne, uh, Batman's identity is Bruce Wayne, you might live. But if you were to see God in all his glory, you would have a conniption. Your body would turn inside out. Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, something like that. Your faces might melt off. I don't know. Understand that he is clothed out, not just in light, right? But the Bible is saying unapproachable light, that when you and your enemies see or experience the outworking of God, I don't know, y'all, just says, let me bow down, get down, be quiet, be still, be broken, be needy, don't be too bright, right? Not too good in my own right, hum a song, right? To be wild with awesome, squint, lay prostrate before him. If his outfit is unapproachable, approachable light, then what does this say about the God who is coming out in it? It says he is holy, that he is magnificent. His truth is unmanageable, right? Like light and rays. he is everywhere, and he is pure, and his presence is the life and light. It says that things are going to change. Something is about to happen in his presence and at his coming. And though masked, before y'all get it twisted, it doesn't mean he's any less powerful. In fact, Habakkuk sings here, what he sings here is about a marvelous hero God whose masked power is also miraculous. When I say miraculous, I mean like superpower right? What's not regular, right? Something above and beyond the norm. So this masked hero, with rays shooting out from his hands and from him, brilliant in his appearance like the sun, the Bible says in verse 6 that this hero stood and measured the earth, and then he looked and shook the nation. What is it saying? God stood and stepped out into history and all the human scene. And he could from his stance, because from where and how big he stood, he threw his whole light shadow and brightness over the whole earth. That when he stood up, he could see the whole world and take his hands and measure it. It simply means God stood up to the world and sized it up like people stereotypically do when they get ready to fight, looking each other up and down. God stood up and checked out what and who thought they were or could stand up to him. And then when it says that he looked, it meant God stared down the world and it's evil like two fighters in the middle of the ring as the rules were given out. God just looked at, and when he looked and measured, he judged and read them. God was focused on the world. He saw what he had to do and was going to do it. Habakkuk is saying when God is acting in our world, he takes a stand. He takes a hero pose. He takes a sovereign determination to act, right? And the world knows better because his stance and look intimidates and moves the world. It gets the world, right? It melts the world for his shaping and twisting and turning. The Bible says that when he stood and looked The mountains and the hills scattered and sunk low. What's it saying? The, 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 in mountains and hills, it means that the most immovable, the most ancient, well-founded, dug-in kingdoms, companies, campaigns, philosophies, pagan religious belief systems got up and left or they get pushed to the side so God can walk through. They move out of the way. They run. They lay down. They bow down. And the populace, the massive popular majority signified by the tents, they begin to tremble. anything built in God's way began to shake. You know, this reminds me of when you're watching wrestling on TV, wrestling, not wrestling. Wrestling is an Olympic sport. Wrestling is something different. Now we have p- people in here who've been in professional wrestling. Brad used to be a professional wrestler. We had some other folk, another guy in this church, he was a professional wrestler. I know it's an athletic event, but it is an event, right? Let me tell you, if you are the guy coming out in just the blue shorts, (laughs) I don't care how big you are, you're gonna lose. If you don't have theme music, you're gonna lose. If you come out and you're doing this, you're gonna lose. But if you got the theme music, and when you come out, you just, you're going to win. It's already decided that you're the one, right? And the Bible is saying here that God comes out with theme music. And he comes out and he stands like this, and he looks out, and the world with all its strength and power and mountains and hills and tents come out like the guy in the blue shorts. It's a wrestling match with the world that God is already going to win. This is what it's saying here, that there is nothing and no one on your schedule of suffering or hardship or injustice or sin or struggle that is not scared or melting before the idea of having to come face to face with with a marvelous God on a marvelous mission to deal with evil and deliver his people. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. Take a little time with verse 8. Because I want you to recognize, which may not be obvious, that there are three different words here. The beginning of verse eight. There is first wrath, then there's anger, then there's indignation, and they let us know a little bit about what is behind God's mission as a marvelous hero. The word wrath means to get hot, to heat up, to build up anger, to become incense, and then the next word anger means, get this, nostril right? It means that God's nostrils flared, you know? Like when you get real angry about something, your nostrils get big, you suck up all the air in the room, right? Depending on how big your nose is. But you know what I'm saying? That his wrath and rage were incensed and made him huff and puff and snort and breathe heavy. He got all hot and bothered and it was all over him. And then the final word indignation means an outburst, an overflow, an explosion, a volcanic eruption. Habakkuk is saying that God has built up heat and he rages and he rips against those who are evil, those who are against him, his glory and his people that as he stood and looked out over the world and saw the oppression and pride and worship of other gods and mistreatment of nature and people and stuff that God was set ablaze by the sin he saw and God saw it and saw it all and it lit him and his glory on fire and caused him to explode and with divine power destroy and diminish evil, that God was already hyped and ready to crush sin, Satan, and an unjust evil world in its ways before it actually happened. Now many of y'all too young to remember the live action Incredible Hulk. Y'all remember that with Bill Bixby? Man, I love that show. Friday night, Dukes of Hazard, and Incredible Hulk. I waited for that show. Now when I go back on YouTube, I'm thinking that thing was stupid. (laughs) It was poor. They didn't have no money for TV shows back then. I mean, today, all the money, I mean, if they had Incredible Hulk on today, none of y'all would watch. But I remember little Bill Bixby. Little, and my mom always used to laugh. He always turns to the Hulk, loses all his clothes, but he always has a bag this small. You remember that? He would walk around with a little duffel bag walk around like a little punk. Wait, when you look at him, you want to beat him up, right? And so Bill Bixby, anytime he would get in trouble, right, or get hurt, or get scraped on the hand, or someone hit him, or harmed him, or harmed someone he cared for, there would be scenes, right? And this had the scene would always work, maybe because they didn't have money, and they had to do something in a closed studio room. I don't know. But anytime he would get hurt, they would throw him behind a a pile of trash cans, right? Or in a dumpster, or behind a table. And you wouldn't, the guys who were the mean guys wouldn't see what was going on. But you could. They thought they had won. Get rid of little punk Bill Bitsby, throw him behind, throw his behind in a trash can, and you were good, right? But then all of a sudden, done, right? You see the eyes. They didn't see it. Guess what, y'all? It was already over. When you threw Bill Bixby in a garbage can, (laughs) if you hurt his girlfriend, right? If you scraped his hand accidentally with a fork or something, like, it's already over when them eyes light up. Right then, that was it. Once his rage was incited and his eyes looked up with those green zombie-looking things, the next thing would be his clothes breaking. It was on and too late. Habakkuk is saying, for all the evil in the world right now, it is already too late. It's too late. God, God started getting mad the day there was bad against him and you and me. And his wrath may have been building up and getting ready in a place in a way that you may not be able to see right now, but it is building and coming. He is already on a mission to take mountains and hills and tents and our lives and world out. It is already part of his character. When we think about mountains and hills. I want you to imagine, want you to imagine the most oppressive, systems, things, emotions, depression, and financial situations that you you can't ever seem to get over or get off of you. Or get off of others in your life. Think about that thing that has just been a struggle in your life for as long as you can remember. Maybe that family curse. Maybe stuff like racism and classism and greed and all the stuff that has come to define humanity. I want you to think about what these tents mean. They represent sin in situations that we've left to fester, that we haven't dealt with, and now it's occupied all over the place. Little things have become big things. We have surely made mountains out of molehills in our lives. Think about the colds and the sicknesses, the fights between you and your spouse or family there the lonely days and nights and nagging inconsistencies and in life period that make you doubt God. The Bible says that God's mission. It's with divine anger against all that gives you a hard time and a hard time worshiping him and living in the light of his grace. His mission is to crush those things. But why? Why is God wrathful and angry and indignant? Look at verse 8 again. It asks asks you, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot? Salvation? To to answer the rhetorical question presented by Habakkuk, the answer is no. God is just mad and will move anything against anyone in the way of his glory and in the way in between him and his people. If mountains and hills and tents and fire and water in the way, he ain't sweating them, right? He is hot and heavy to get to his people, to get to you and me and get you and me into the plan and purposes of his love and grace. In fact, let's look at it this way. God is not hot and heavy to just be hot and heavy and bothered because of evil. Hear this. Evil is no real problem for God. No real problem. The Bible says he stands and he looks and the mountains and the hills melt away. You know what the word ray means in verse 4? It means horned. Be careful when I say this too. Oh boy, it's going to go viral now. It means horny. Yeah, it does. Now, Be careful. Pastor Brown got vulgar. Pastor Brown just called God horny, blasphemy. Doesn't mean sexually. But definitely it means being incited and excited, right? God's wrath and anger and indignation is about God's growing desire, right? His explosive love for his people. You and I are notorious for being sick and tired and sick and tired and saying things like, I can't take it anymore. Pastor Brown, I can't take it anymore. This is too hard to deal with. I hate being this way or in this place or living in a world like this. And some of us even talk about and experience breakdowns because we long for things to be done. Some of you have even made excuses for your less than holy physical affection behavior. I just couldn't hold that anymore, Pastor. Roy. I just couldn't take it anymore. I got needs. I ain't got the gift of celibacy. That's another sermon. As history moves on and your life moves on, you know who really gets hot and bothered? And who is living with expectation? To his verse eight says, "Ride on a chariot of salvation and break up things to get you and save you and have you get his love and be delivered." It is the Lord God. God is the one who is glowing and hyped with heroic, I'm coming to save you and deliver you and break you out and get you back into where to have you, to have you with me, to have that kind of passion for you and me. And he is hot and his nostrils are flaring and he is not like you and me headed for breakdown, but in sovereign providential passion, he's about to break out in history to deliver and save you and me because we can't and won't save ourselves. God is upset with the desire to get you his special interest and object of his love out of all the mess and to him. You think about funny thing about good superheroes? They always have a weakness for a mere human. Right? Or they always fall in love with some earthling that makes them risk their powers, their death, their reputation. They got trapped because they got to go save their mom or their dad or their girlfriend. I mean, back in the day, y'all remember the 1980s Superman played by Christopher Reeves? That's my Superman. Some of y'all got Christopher Reeves' daddy. That's, that's fine. That's the one I got. I don't know if y'all remember. Come on, y'all don't remember that? I'm too old for some of y'all. Where he was so smitten by Lois Lane, played by Margot Kidder. Yuck. I don't see it. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it. Uh. But he gave up his Superman powers to marry her. Right? And dude, it's funny. He tried to defend her. as just a regular non-power suit, man. He got beat down. He was bleeding. He didn't even know what was going on. (laughs) Welcome to our world. Stand up for your woman. Might get beat down. That's what it means to be human, right? Happens all the time. Heroes always get caught and trapped in their death, going after the one they care for. You know, we all want someone to be passionate over us, to see us, to have an eye for us. You know, we, only, we not only need a hero, but all of us really want one. Do you know what God did in his hot and heavy love for you and me and those who would be his? He's no different than Superman in that movie. The Bible says our hero took off, off his outward cape of unapproachable light. And he clothed himself in a less than auspicious outfit. He put his marvelous history, his marvelous power, and his marvelous mission in a human being suit. 100% divine and 100% human outfit that in Jesus, the Bible says, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead body, bodily. The same God of unapproachable light clothed himself with humanity. And the Bible says the same God, filled with power and wrath to melt the nations was the verse four light of the world but came in a way that people could easily ignore him. That God put on his Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne outfit. He humbled himself and let the world beat him down and flex on him and put him on a cross where God with wrath Anger and indignation, talked about in verse 12. Angry at sin at the same time, loving for sinners like you and me, he hurt Jesus. He let Jesus, like the mountains and hills and tents, be burned and sinned and singed, and scourged and scattered and laid low and shook and afflicted and trembled by his own father's wrathful hands. So that God's salvation could make a way into your heart. But the Bible says that on the third day, when Jesus rose from the grave, that what? You don't have to go to the New Testament it's right here in verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise on that third day morning when he got up from the grave. At that point, Jesus, our marvelous hero, proclaimed, I win. I am Lord. I am God. I am the Holy One. I defeat all mountains and hills and valleys and tents in your life. You know, the story ain't over. We're just in the middle of the book. Because the Bible tells us that our God with a marvelous history of beating death and rising from the grave, we can live with expectation to another event. When he no longer will be mistaken as maybe not divine. Where he will no longer be mistaken as just a carpenter down the street. Where he will no longer be mistaken as just the good teacher that walked. He was just like Gandhi and Confucius and everybody else. He will no longer be mistaken because the Bible tells us when Jesus comes back the second time. People won't say, is that a bird or is it a plane? It will be plain and simple that it is our marvelous hero coming to save us. And we don't have to look to Revelation. Verse four says his brightness will be like the light. And rays will flash from his hand and there in his veiled power before him pestilence will go and plagues will follow at his heels. And when Jesus comes back, he will stand and measure the earth and he will look and the nations will shake and mountains will scatter and hills will be laid low and tents will fold and God's people will be saved for all time's sake. Jesus is our marvelous hero. I urge you to cry out to him. Help me, Lord. Help me, hero. You've done it before. You'll do it again. You're on a mission to save me and nothing can stop it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.